heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Once again, live on YouTube for some YWC football talk. And with me today is the man, the myth, the mustache from Pro Football Focus's two-for-one drafts podcast, Austin Gale. Austin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. No problem, no problem. I just want to – there's one thing about the draft I wanted to delve into quickly, and it's the what exactly are the Kansas City Chiefs going to do now? Because not only are Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher released, I believe their center – his name's escaping me right now. Austin Um, Ryder. Austin Ryder uh, is going to test the free agency market as well and leaving. So where exactly – like, or what exactly do you think the Kansas City Chiefs could be up to come the end of April? Yeah, I think the, you know, right now the chalky responses to pencil in or Sharpie in an offensive tackle to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31. And, you know, Mike and I talk about all the time about, you know, avoiding a situation where you're locking yourself into a position. But I do think that for the Kansas City Chiefs, one, offensive tackle, obviously a super valuable position in the NFL. I think it's one of the four, either the third or fourth highest paid non-quarterback right now from a positional standpoint. And two, the, the board's probably going to stack up to where you're going to get a valuable starting caliber offensive tackle at 31. Right now, according to PFS draft board, eight offensive tackles rate inside rank inside the top 40. So you're going to get a very talented offensive tackle prospect to fall to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31. I've seen some other people say, you know, if USC's Elijah Vera Tucker falls there, who obviously played tackle at USC, but might get kicked into guard at the next level, that's an option. I also think, I mean, it's a very good offensive tackle class. On day two, you could double dip at the position, you know, at the back end of round two. Jackson Carmen of Clemson's a guy I think about. Walker Little of Stanford, if he falls that far. Alex Leatherwood, who didn't have a great senior bowl, but again, back into round two, you're starting to see some value there. So I could see them addressing offensive tackle in the draft, but also I think there's some opportunities to get cheaper at the position with some veterans. I know Riley Reef was released. That's an option. You could see them maybe go after some of those mid-tier to low-tier free agents, but guys who have experience that could be average to maybe slightly below average starters next year. Yeah, exactly. Because even the other guy I look at too, especially with the center position now opening up, is uh, for a day two would be uh, Creed Humphrey, for example. I know you recently got to talk to just someone in there because you want someone who's trusting and reliable at center because center is the one position that – kind of like the catalyst of the offensive line, if you will. No, yeah, I think Creed Humphrey would be an option. I think he definitely fit to play anything at the next level. I think gap scheme probably makes more sense for him. But for the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you can also address center. Like center is one of those positions where you can get a very good one late day two or even day three because it's one of the few positions in the NFL that's not super dependent on elite traits. Like you don't need to be a you know big size. You don't need long arms. You don't need elite athleticism to be a good center or starting caliber center in the NFL. It's why you see a lot of guys that are drafted maybe on day two, day three that do develop into talented centers. You're not going to get an elite center probably late day two, day three, but you will get a very good one, a starting caliber one if you do address the position in those rounds. Exactly. So it's kind of like if you if your center is like not the best, but your guard and tackle play can make up for it. It kind of just all gels in together as one. And I think the offensive line too. And, and Sam and Steve, Steve Palazzolo and and Sam Monson say this a lot on the PFF NFL podcast that you don't have to be elite at every position along the offensive line. You don't have to be elite at any position. You just can't be. You can't have a weak link. You know, you can't have one yeah. or two weak links where you see pass protection and those things break down because you have an exploitable piece along the offensive line. You just need to be average. Having an average to slightly above average offensive line 
can take you to the Super Bowl. Like the Kansas City Chiefs went to the Super Bowl, you know, with Mitchell yeah. Schwartz battling injuries last year. And Eric Fisher, I know, only missed what the Super Bowl and maybe like a little bit of that other game. But I do think, I think that a quarter and a half. Sorry I do think that. No, no, you're good. I, I do think that like the Kansas City Chiefs interior offensive line is a bunch of misfits. Like they don't like Alan Grady and all those things. Like Laurent Duvernay Tardif didn't even play the season due to COVID nineteen concerns. Like you don't need to be very good along the offensive line if you're Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. You just can't be terrible because when you know what you know what terrible looks like. It's a yeah. Super Bowl, you know, and we saw what terrible looks like. And I don't think it's that hard for them to get closer to average. I think people are making it a bigger deal than it is because of how bad the Super Bowl went. But they don't have two weeks to find a, you know, starting caliber tackle tandem. They have, you know, close to three months with the draft and free agency coming up. Exactly. And that's the other thing, too, I always thought as well is if uh, – actually, I was going to say fellow countryman, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif does come back into the league just depending on the whole COVID situation. Obviously, he was the first to opt out, helped out with the situation up here. Um, moving, uh, just shifting focus now to the top 10 of the draft. The one pick that I got to say intrigues me is the Miami Dolphins sitting at three, because I can see them either, you know what, maybe I think you guys suggested today where they take Sewell at three, get like a Rondell Moore later on at 36 and even at 18 to kind of take it someone that they can just plug and play and need. But also too, it would intrigue me just because I feel like a team like the Carolina Panthers are going to be maybe swooping in to see exactly, because obviously it's probably be Lawrence and Wilson. But if there's a quarterback in this class that the Panthers really want, I wouldn't surprise me if to see them kind of swoop up to three in Miami. I feel like you could take advantage of trading back in the draft. Like it won't kill them. No, 100%. I think Miami should explore options to trade back if they aren't going to take a quarterback at three. And I know a lot of Miami Dolphins fans get upset when you even suggest it. But the reason you do is because you have to kind of accrue as much valuable as, as, va- as much value as possible at the number three overall pick. And if there is a Justin Fields, Trey Lance there, there are a lot of teams that want him at that pick or want one of those players at that pick, like the Carolina Panthers, like potentially the Falcons, if they don't want a Panthers to jump ahead of them, Denver Broncos at nine, San Francisco at 12. You know, even Detroit is apparently considering, you know, trying to get better at the quarterback position because they are so close. I think the Miami Dolphins would be very smart to trade back if they don't want to take a quarterback, which you, that's fine. Like if you have, yeah. if you have, if you really want to build around Tua Tagovailoa and do those things, do it with the number eight overall pick and additional picks down the road. Don't do it with number three. Don't lock in there if you have trade partners. Yeah, no, I agree with that exactly. And the other team that comes to mind too is the Denver Broncos because I like you guys. Just I don't buy into the Drew Lock hype. Like it was just a small sample size last year, and I said we'll see. Because also I have this weird theory that I've heard of from other shows is that. John, um, when John Eller was always in power, he was always purposely drafting mediocre quarterbacks just so he was always known as the greatest Bronco of all time. Just like a, a little joke I had. But yeah, like if they, they're they keen on, you know what, we're not so sure on Locke, they're, they're the perfect team to move up, whether it's Fields, whether even Trey Lance or Mac. Because Mac's the quarterback where I feel like early on in the draft, a lot of people saw, you know what, maybe late day one, early day two. I would Honestly, I'm not shocked if he goes top 10 this year. Like if he yeah. does go top 10, excuse me. No, I, I think you could see Mac Jones go that high because so many teams need quarterbacks. I mean, we still don't know who's going to start for the Washington football team. We still don't know who's going to start for Chicago. Like, there's a lot of teams that still are looking to make an upgrade at that position so much that you could see him valued and you could see five quarterbacks go inside, you know, top 16, top 20 picks. So I think, you know, with the Denver Broncos specifically, they're in a tough spot, you know, because they're not in a prime position to upgrade at quarterback. They'd have to move up to probably get one of the big four. And, you know, bringing in Trey Lance to compete with Drew Locke, Trey Lance is not going to be ready to be you know, a playoff type of quarterback in year one. I mean, he just hasn't played a ton of football, needs to develop in a lot of ways, and he's going to play in a completely different offense in the NFL. Even if they adapt it to his skill set, they're going to throw the football a lot more in Denver, in the NFL. They're going to do a lot more NFL concepts than he ran at North Dakota State. So I do think 
Denver is kind of in a tough spot unless they like mortgage the farm and go up to like a three or a four with Atlanta. If Atlanta wants to come down and get a guy like Wilson or or Wilson Fields or Lance, I do think that could be an option for them. But also, I I think they're also staring at this option of build around Drew Locke, play him for 16 games, maybe sign a veteran to compete. And if it doesn't pan out, we're drafting inside the top five next year and swinging the bat on a guy like Spencer Rattler of Oklahoma, Sam Howell of UNC, or even Keaton Slovis of USC. Uh, no, I, I completely agree with that because if you do take the chance and like you swing and if it fails, you're in the top five. Because here's the other thing, too, for, next, for the Broncos for right now. Uh, you didn't have Cortland Sutton for most of the year who tore his ACL, I believe, week two. Uh, Jerry Judy, I feel like, could make it is going to make that stride forward uh, a year or two as well. And then the same thing, too. KJ Hamler is kind of a guy who came out of nowhere. So, if you get the right quarterback or even a quarterback competition in Denver, you're only progressing yourself further just because they're in a division right now. You guys said this right now. Them and Vegas are in that like whole weird mediocre state where you're going to be between 6 and 10 and 8 and 8 where you don't want to be in the NFL. Meanwhile, if you get someone this year, develop them, you can see what you have going forward so maybe you can make those strides and potentially make the playoffs in the next two to three years. Because remember, AFC West, you got Kansas City where the juggernauts and then you, the LA Chargers are a team not to mess with. No, I agree. And I think they're even they're in a better position than, than Las Vegas, in my opinion, because they're in this purgatory tier, but have not offered Drew Locke this big monster deal. While Drew, you know, Derek Carr obviously is on not a monster deal compared to where we're seeing now, but still a significant second contract to where they're kind of cap strapped and trading Trent Brown, cutting Gabe Jackson, cutting Richie Incognito, Lamarcus Joyner, Tyrell Williams. Like they are in a position where they need to shed players because of that Derek Carr contract and some others. So with Drew Locke in Denver, like you're not committed to him yet. But you need to make the decision on do you want to develop him in 2021 or do you want to develop someone else? And if you're going to develop someone else, you're probably going to have to mortgage some draft capital to come up. And I think, yes, it's an aggressive play. You're mortgaging the future. But here's the situation. If the Denver Broncos front office and decision makers feel like, you know, two or, you know, there's guys that they can go up and get that are objectively better prospects than Locke, you do it. Because being yep. hamstrung to Drew Locke when you feel like there are better quarterback prospects within reach is probably the worst situation you could be in. And I think there's a similar question to be had in Miami. If Miami thinks Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, whoever's available there at three, is a better prospect than Tua, you take him. It's not that hard. You know, there's no sunk cost fallacy here. You can move on from Tua Tungavailoa after one year, similar to the Cardinals moving on from Rosen, if you feel like the player you're getting is better because quarterbacks maintain their value. Tua Tungavailoa on the open market, on the trade market, is well worth the second round pick, if not the back end of a first, where you could see a Washington football team, a Chicago Bears team, go and get a Tua Tungavailoa because they don't have a good quarterback with those first round picks. No, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Because, like, look, Miami is the same like thing. Uh, sorry, I don't know what happened. Like, you kind of, like, were going in and out there for a second. So I got as much as I could of that. I don't know what was going on. Like, my, I think the internet's working fine. So, uh, but no, you're right on both sides with Miami because like the way when everything you said makes me think of Kansas City four years ago. They didn't have to go and draft Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid and Brett Veach had gut feelings saying, hey, we see something in this kid. So if you're Chris Greer, if you're – I'm trying to think of the, the new GM in Minnesota uh, from, in Denver who came from Minnesota. I know his first name's George. Just blanking on his last George name right Tom. now. Exactly. If you have gut feelings that those guys are going to make your football team better, you go out and draft them. You don't just like, oh, hey, take a pass or see – it's kind of similar with the New York Giants with Daniel Jones, how, you know what, the pick wasn't agreeable, but Dave Gettleman saw something in him that made him take him. They wouldn't take him just for the sake of picking him. And then, yeah, I know earlier I was saying, what's Kansas City going to do in the offensive line? I feel like you're that's where you're 100% right with Vegas, where Vegas, they're just let go. Like, they let go, like you said, three guys just walked. 
because of cap issues, but then they have to answer the questions and still there's a potential chance for mediocrity with them. Cause I've said this as well with uh, Gruden and uh, Davis, where it's kind of like those two kids who always partner on a school project and they could get like a 50 and it's just like, Oh yeah, you know what? We work together. It's all good. But meanwhile, Mike Max, kind of the guy there being like, fellas, like what's going on here? Yeah. I don't know what Las Vegas is going to do. I think that's been what everyone's been saying over the past few years. It's just their roster building has been very inconsistent. They've missed on a lot of draft picks. They've missed on a lot of free agents. They haven't factored in a ton of positional value into the picks that they made. Cause you could, you know, they traded John, you know, their first round, uh, Amari Cooper for a first round pick and in exchange got Jonathan Abram. And like, I know, in the draft, it's kind of this cliche or that to get good players, and I get that. But you have to, when you're specifically when you're drafting with top 50 picks, you have to get good players at valuable positions because Jonathan Abram has to be a top five box safety in the NFL to be as valuable as Amari Cooper. You know, like you're putting him behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. Well, if you draft an offensive tackle there, a pass rusher there, you know, a corner, you have to be you, you have to be top half of the league to be as good as what Amari Cooper is. Like a top 20, top 15 pass rusher goes a long way compared to a top five even box safety. And Jonathan Abram is going to struggle to even get to that point. So I do think like we need to think about that more when we are picking in the first round. And I think the number one position talked about in the first round in terms of like, oh, do you avoid it or whatever is running back. And for all the obvious reasons, because you, you know, there it's not super valuable on the football field compared to other positions. But I think the bigger reason is the market implications. You know, running backs are not paid a ton of money in the NFL. Throw positional value out the window. Literally market value of running backs in the NFL is bottom three among all positions. Bottom three, if you don't include kicker and punter and long snapper and those things. Don't draft those players early in the first round. Like you see Maurice Jones-Drew recently mocking three running backs in the first round. When the New York Giants drafted Saquon Barkley, with the contract you're given for every number two overall pick every single year, he was paid as the fifth highest paid running back in the NFL. If you draft a tackle there, he ranks outside the top 30. Like that's, that's the difference, you know, bringing in, you know, um, valuable players that are market valued players at high first round picks, you're going to get better return on investment. And I think that's why when you look at what the Raiders have done over the past, you know, three or four years, Colt Miller might be their best pick. And like, he was a yeah. little bit of a reach. Not a lot of people like that pick myself included, but when you look back on it, they used the first round pick after trading down and yes, they passed on Jerome James, but throw that out the window. Everyone did. They, they traded down and took a player at a very valuable position and he's been healthy and average to above average starting at left tackle and getting paid nothing on a rookie contract. You draft a different player there at a different position. And even if he plays as well as Colt Miller, he's not going to be as valuable because he's playing a lower valued position. It's kind of like saying the question this makes me bring up is like, oh, what if the Giants had gone with like Quentin Nelson at second overall there? They'd be in a much better position. Because like you said, and even now too with Saquon, they have these whole million dollar questions to answer where it's, hey, do we give him his money that he's worth kind of like what we just saw Dak get on Monday? Or do we like pay him now on the cheaper side to like kind of like, hey, you're coming off a very serious injury, obviously torn ACL. So you're at a crossroads right now with the New York Giants. Like I love the way you put that. Um, even to, I, I just threw my hands up and you said Colt Miller, but I feel like, you, I don't remember that trade. You guys traded back because Arizona traded up, but then I still think you guys ended up winning that deal with Arizona, obviously. Um, but no, the Raiders are in a very interesting position because even though, too, I don't know, obviously, brand new to the Las Vegas market. I don't know how familiar you are with hockey, but they have a new brand new hockey team in Vegas who's doing very, very well. And I feel like the people of Vegas are going to want to see a football team that knows how to win. No, absolutely. I mean, I think all Raiders fans, Vegas fans included, have been looking for a team that knows how to win for a while. I mean, they haven't been 
successful since obviously the Rich Gannon, John, you know, John Gruden debacle in that Super Bowl. So I, I, I think with the Raiders specifically, they're in a tough spot. And I think the recommendation I've always had, or at least had this offseason, is that Derek Carr might be your most valuable player. No, is your most valuable player at his peak. And we kind of saw it this past year. He's a top eight to 12 quarterback in the NFL. Is he top six? Is he top five? No. And I don't think anyone would argue that even the biggest Raiders fan in the world would argue that Derek Carr is a top five quarterback in the NFL, but he can be top eight to top 12. And that has a ton of value, but it doesn't have value on a team. That's as dog shit as the Raiders is, you know, like the Raiders roster is bad. Like there is not Mike and I talked about this on the podcast today. There is not defensively on the Raiders team a top 15 player at his position. There isn't. Maybe not even top 20. Like you wouldn't call any of the players that the Raiders started last year top 20 players at their position in 2020. That's a problem. Offensively, you just lost three starting caliber offensive linemen. You're going to lose Nelson Aguilar in free agency because he probably wants to play for one, a contender, and two, someone who's going to pay him big money. And then you're going to start Henry Renfro, Henry Ruggs, and third-round pick Brian Edwards at receiver. Darren Waller, Derek Carr, and Josh Jacobs are your best players. Running back's a low-valued position. Tight end is also low-valued, even though Darren Waller is a game-changer. Like, you're in a position now where your roster is not good enough to win with a Derek Carr. Derek Carr is good. Trade him for the capital you can get. Get a first-round pick for Derek Carr from the Chicago Bears, from the Washington football team that's trying to make a push with a better roster and leverage those first-round picks into rebuilding maybe in 2020 or 2021 and then getting an upgrade, getting a potential top-five player at quarterback in 2022. I love the idea, honestly, the Bears, because I feel like everyone's saying, like, oh, Derek Carr's like this player is always on the trademark. Even his brother came out and had, like, an article on NFL Network, obviously. Uh, da- uh, yeah, uh, obviously, Derek's brother did that, David. Um, you are you nailed everything on the head, though, when you said it right. Like, But I feel like at the same time, too, Gruden always has, like, his eye on quarterbacks. He's like that meme of, like, the guy holding the girl's hand who's, like, looking back. That's how he always is a quarterback. Um, I actually saw – listen to your guys' show today where you did talk about the Maurice Jones-Drew thing. And even still, like when I look at the first round, I'm like, there's no way I see a, a running back going here unless someone trades up to get them. Like, say if someone's like wanting a Najee Harris. Like, besides that, like people got to remember too, Derrick Henry was, I believe, a second round pick, like late in the second round too. So, or maybe been a third round. I think it was in the 60s. Like, just because you want the position doesn't mean you have to go get it. It's kind of like last year too with the Dallas Cowboys, how they got CD Lamb at 18 when you could have argued they went, would could have gone with like an Xavier McKinney instead of that position, or at, yeah. like, instead of going safety instead of wide receiver. Yeah. I don't know how many teams are trading up for running backs in the NFL anymore because like that is just an insane use of draft capital because of how valuable the position is or the lack of value it brings to the table. But I don't think, I do think that you ultimately maybe or ultimately see a Najee Harris and potentially a Travis Etienne, if not Javante Williams, the North Carolina back, go in the first round because there are some teams at the back end, like we saw with the Kansas City Chiefs, that maybe do feel like they're a running back away. I could see the Buffalo Bills saying, hey, I think we're a good running back away from being really good. But the problem is, is using that first round pick and the fifth year option that it comes with it on a player or a position as invaluable or, or as so low value as running back it's just going to be hard to see a positive return on that investment. You're better off investing in the offensive line. If you want to improve the run game, get Elijah Vera Tucker of USC. Get Wyatt Davis of Ohio State. Grab one of these tackles that are very talented. Sam Cosme, uh, Tevin Jenkins. Like go get, a, go get a valuable player at a valuable position that if you were trying to pay on a second contract would cost objectively more than a running back. Like you can go yeah. – James Conner is going to sign for a very low deal this offseason. You're going to yeah. see Chris Carson sign for not a ton of money this offseason. 
you can go get Kenny running back. Too, probably. Mark Ingram, and I know he's a bit banged up and he's a bit older, but like you signed him for no money. Like you can sign Mike Davis of the Carolina Panthers was literally signed off the street and was very productive for them and all those things. So I don't, I, again, I don't think I would be a team that's taking Najee Harris or Travis Etienne in the first round, but I still think some NFL teams aren't completely caught up on that methodology. And I think you will see one of those guys come off the board. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like GMs always kind of think like, "Oh, what's this? Like this, like the new shiny toy." Like they're so attracted to it. Like the perfect example of this is how the Saints in 2017. You know what? Lattimore at 11, Ramchak late in the first round, and then they got Kamara in the third. Like they got Kamara, I think, late in the second round. So it's just like, look, they're gonna be there. And like even too, like you guys have nailed this on the head in your podcast, and I agree with it with the wide receivers this year. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of guys who are gonna be very good, like Chase, uh, Waddle, Smith. But there's guys all over this uh, draft class for wide receivers that are going to come into this league and make an impact. No, yeah, absolutely. I think when you think about some of the value of like, hey, taking a Devontae Smith, say at six, or Rashad Bateman at the top of round two, I would rather have Bateman at the top of round two. You know, I think there's some more value there. And I think Devontae Smith's good. He's a top eight player on PFF's board. But because of the receiver class this year and the depth it does have with like a Bateman who's right now PFF's wide receiver for Terrace Marshall Jr. of LSU, um, Rondell Moore, Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore. Like you have some talented guys. And I think it also depends on what you need at the position. I think the wide receiver, like you, you hear Brandon Bean talk about this a little bit about building a receiving room, like a basketball court. You know, you need guys of different skill sets. You can't have like three point guards. You need a center, you need a power forward, you need a, you know, a three and D guy. And I think that's what you saw in Buffalo with John Brown, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley. Not all of those guys are two number ones, but they complement each other's skill sets very well. Exactly. And even too now with them cutting John Brown, you know what? Gabriel Davis is right there to take his spot. They also have Isaiah McKenzie. So they've, Brandon Bean's planned well, because even with the wide receiver room I'm looking at, too, there's even guys down the road even further, like an Amari Rodgers, for example, that you can get day three. So it's just like, just so basically for teams, just because you don't get this now, don't panic. Like, look at last year, Tyler Johnson, fifth round pick, kind of hurts me, because he went uh, to, I should mention this quickly, too, I'm a Pats fan, and he went, we drafted the kicker instead of him, and now we're kind of paying the price for that. So, can't win them all. <laughs> yeah. Patriots are in a really interesting spot. I do not know how they're going to approach this offseason. I think Bill Belichick and the competitiveness for him, you know, a competitiveness in him wants to continue to compete in the AFC East, try and go pursue deep postseason runs. I just don't think they had the horses to do it. Like, I don't think they can make enough upgrades to their roster offensively and defensively and find a quarterback in time to actually be a legitimate contender this season. I think they should have tanked in 2020. And now they're in a position again where you should probably tank again. Like, you – can go get a bridge quarterback. You can sign a Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton this offseason. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you can sign him. You can. Marcus Mariota, when, yeah. uh, I think he was released recently. Like You can do that. But what is that going to get you on this roster? Do you want to compete for seven, eight wins? I don't know. Like I just don't think that is the quickest path to a Super Bowl. That's what every team's trying to do. Consistently compete for Super Bowls. Winning eight games in 2021 does not make you closer to that. Winning zero games in 2021 gets the Patriots closer to winning a Super Bowl than winning eight games. I completely agree with you. I, I always thought that if there was a year to tank, it was last year. You know what? Start him, see what he got. Obviously, we now know kind of a failed experiment with him. So if we had started him, finished in the bottom half, you know what? Hey, maybe we'd be able to go get a Trey Lance, a Justin Fields, a Zach Wilson. Now we're going to be uh, aggressively trying to – it could potentially aggressively change, trade up. And I know Bill Belichick hates that. I actually had um, Pat Lane, who I know you've been on his podcast before with uh, Ryan Spagnoli, and he was telling me too, Bill hates being the one that is aggressively trading up. He'd rather be the one that someone's trying to aggressively trade with him. 
I firmly believe this too, that they're either one way or another, they're not picking at 15 in this draft come at the end of April. I'd be interested to see if they go down or come up. I don't know if there are going to be teams that want to necessarily come up ahead of the Cardinals there at 16 or the Raiders at 17. Because I do think unless Mac Jones is there at 15 and I think honestly, if Mac Jones does fall to the Patriots, maybe you do swing the bat on him, even though I think Mac Jones at his best, is a guy that plays to the level of a very good supporting cast. And you saw that at Alabama. I think Al- yeah. Mac Jones you can win a Super Bowl with if you can put him on a team with a very good roster. And I don't think the Patriots, again, are going to have a good roster in quite some time. Like, they just simply not – they simply haven't hit on enough draft picks outside of, like, say, Isaiah Wynn, maybe J.C. Jackson, who I think was undrafted. Like, you, you, yeah. you, you're not going to – you're not going to win a Super Bowl with the roster they have now, even with Mac Jones. I think even if they traded up and massively and got a Zach Wilson or Justin Fields – they're going to be more competitive in 2022 and 2023 than they are going to be in 2021. Because again, as good as Bill Belichick is, and obviously one of the best coaches of all time, if not the best, there's only so much you can do when you don't have a legitimately talented roster. And I'd say right now they're a bottom 10 roster in the NFL. Exactly. It's kind of like, I always said this, it's one of those like tough pills to swallow, especially after all the years of sustained success, which I know the rest of the league's probably looking at me going, Oh, boo hoo, boo you. But, um, no, I, I look at both sides and I kind of like, I like obviously it's pros and cons, but like, cause yeah, you want to see your team do well, but at the same time too, you got to look out for the long term for your team's future. You can't just be like, oh, hey, in the win now mode. Obviously, there's certain teams who are in that window, but yeah, you're right. Like, New England, unless for some miracle reason they assemble this crazy roster that goes on this run, like, I just don't know what to expect from them this year. But even next year, too, like when people look at it, it's like, oh, what's next year's class looking like? There's some, like you said, there's some pretty decent quarterbacks, even too, like you said, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, even I put Slovis in there from USC. Uh, another one, too, is, well, I'm not saying probably in the top, but would be like even Bo Nix, but I feel like that's still a work in progress. We'll see what he does at Auburn this year, well, obviously with the new coaching staff. But even next year, too, this year, obviously, he's a pretty good quarterback class, and this is going to be the same thing with next year. Yeah, I don't love Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix isn't that great, but we'll see yeah. if he kind of gets better this upcoming season. I think Emory Jones is the other name to kind of look out for. I think he's that uh, Florida quarterback who, big arm, can do a lot of things athletically. I like him a lot. And there's also this kid at a Liberty, name is escaping me, but he's got a cannon, man. There's this kid at Liberty who is absolute stud from an arm talent perspective. He made, he made a handful of throws that Mike and I were watching. I was like, okay, who is this guy? Um, but again, you're looking too far ahead in the future. The bottom line is, is that any decisions you make to get aggressive in this year's draft or even in this year's free agency isn't going to really push you over the hump to con- compete for like a deep postseason run. And I think in addition for it to be a hard, a hard pill to swallow for Patriots fans, because again, so used to their you know winning culture and the dynasties and all that stuff, it's got to be hard for Belichick. Does Belichick know how to kind of build a football team that's not going to win a lot of football games and consistently you know be a bottom feeder? I don't think so. Like, and I think that's why you're going to see the Patriots try and get aggressive and try and and, and you know claw their way to seven, eight, nine wins and ultimately put themselves in a very similar situation next year. Exactly. Then you're picking in that like middle of the teens draft where it's like you know what you can't exactly get like someone who's going to make that pick that's going to come in that's going to change the course of your franchise. You're just going to pick another guy who you can hope can come in and contribute. No, 100%. I think part of that, I think, might be the problem with how the NFL draft is currently constructed. Like, you very much struggle if you are a middle-of-the-pack team. It's hard to kind of build up unless you start to develop a young quarterback, and they don't have a guy to develop. Like, they don't have a legitimate high-ceiling type of quarterback prospect, I mean, outside of Jared Sim, and I don't think that he's the guy. (laughs) 
I know a lot of people. A lot of people I know really wanted him to work. Like I was one of those guys last year where I was like, I have faith, I have potential. But then this year too, and especially seeing he was only put in positions when they were getting their asses kicked, and he's like, hey, just go in and clean up this mess. That's not really going to help a quarterback develop. So that's where you kind of see that window, and you kind of go, you know what? It's a, it's a strikeout instead of. Yeah, and I think they would have been better off not signing Cam Newton than just committing to sit him for 16 games and seeing him win three or four games. And now you win three or four games. You're drafting up there with the, you know, Houston, you know, where the Houston Texans would have slotted or with the Atlanta Falcons. And we're talking about the Patriots making a move. Like, imagine if yeah. the Patriots lost, you know, or won only three or four games last year. They are in a prime position to get a significant upgrade at the quarterback position. Instead, we're talking about them potentially signing Ryan Fitzpatrick or Andy Dalton because they won a few more games last year. Exactly. Um, just staying in the AFC East quickly because I know you have a short time frame. The New York Jets, because I know you got – I just wanted to shift focus to them because I know with the Jacksonville Jaguars, you guys said, obviously they're going to get Lawrence. They have the 25th pick as well. But you don't want them to aggressively spend in free agency this year when they can next year when you kind of know more of a detail what their team is like. I kind of have a similar feeling with the New York Jets, and I just want to get your opinion on that quickly too because they more likely will get Zach Wilson. But do you think they should try to spend this year or do you think they should maybe wait and spend down the road? You know, I think every single year you want to avoid resetting the market at, you know, non-quarterback positions. You rarely see teams that, you know, make X player the highest paid player at his position. Really, those contracts pan out. You're more often restructuring those or flat out trading or releasing those guys because it's so difficult with how, you know, how much the market changes for you know, wide receiver position corners and those things to actually make those work. So I do think both the Jets and the Jaguars would be smart to not break the bank for any of these guys like you outside of maybe Allen Robinson who's on the tag now and you can't really do it there wasn't a guy that I'd really want to break the bank for maybe Trent Williams maybe Kenny Galladay those two guys I really like spending good money on but you do that for Aaron Jones you're setting yourself back you do that for some of these linebackers that are available or other you know Shaq Griffin of Seattle like that's going to be a bad decision look what the Bengals did with Trey Waynes last year paid him what 15 million dollars a year didn't even play a snap or only played a handful of steps like that is the last place you want to be you're more often when you pay big money deals to guys that aren't the best at their position, but they're paid like the best at their position, you're more often finding yourself losing value or getting a negative return on that investment because injuries happen. They don't fit the scheme. Change of change of scenery affects their play. Like it's so hard to pay big money to a player that is objectively not maybe top three or top five in his position, hitting the open market for a reason. And then him coming out and working. The only time you see that work is with quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, like, that is where it could actually pan out. But other positions, the best free agent signings over the past five, 10 years are guys that are signed those mid-tier deals, but outperformed expectations. Kind of like what the New York Jets were going through right now as well with uh, CJ Mosley. Even obviously he was great at Baltimore, but when he, when he came to New York, obviously he was hurt in 2019 and he opted on 2020. So they never really got to see the full sample size of it. And even too, I heard on your guys' podcast today with the infamous mailbag episode where, uh, the Ravens fans are just saying, yeah, we don't want Matthew Judon anymore. And you know, someone's going to pay him because someone's going to yes. want to go out there and get that defensive edge player. Yeah, that's that's a great call. I mean, Shaq Barrett's going to get paid a ton of money. Judon's going to get paid a ton of money. Unique Ngakwe could see a, a lot of money come his way. And look at, I think, a good example was CJ Mosley. Also, Le'Veon Bell. Also, Quan Alexander. Also, Joe Schobert. Also, Corey Littleton. Like, you're looking at these people, you know, these teams that paid big money for big stars. Trent Brown. Tyrell Williams, I mean, and, and LaMarcus Joyner, and it, just, and, it, and it rarely pans out. Like, Trey Flowers, I love Trey Flowers. Very talented player. Giving him $90 million in guaranteed money or whatever that contract was, it's so hard for him be, to be that good. Like, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Khalil Mack even. Khalil Mack has arguably been a top three edge player since signing with Chicago, but still you're not seeing that much of a return on that investment. I mean, it's edge right now in the NFL market 
is such a high price position that it's very difficult unless you're Aaron Donald, unless you're like, I think Khalil Mack is in that conversation. You are not meeting expectations to your contract. Like not, it's Frank Clark, Chris Jones. Um, I mean, a handful of other edge players that are just getting paid a ton of money right now, but just not living up to that dollar figure because it's just so high. Exactly. Like I'll give the example of Trey Flowers because his name came to mind because I loved him when he was in New England, but like, it's like what we always know. Belichick had that knack for getting rid of players before he knew that either their time was up or they were going to get paid more money than they really deserved. And he's just the perfect example. He said, like, when it sounds like $90 million in guaranteed dollars, that's a lot for a defensive lineman. I mean, he and the Baltimore Ravens are two teams, or Patriots and Ravens are two teams that are a prime example of developing defensive line talent and letting it walk and avoiding those big monster deals. Chandler Jones. Trey Flowers, both Kyle Van Oy, like these guys that are playing along the line of scrimmage and, and you're letting them walk because you can't pay them that big money. And then you look at the Ravens letting Zadarius Smith walk, getting um, moving on from Pernell McPhee, likely going to move on from Judon, likely going to move on from Ngakwe. They are refusing to pay that above market rate, that $20 million APY for these edge players because they know it's so hard for them to actually meet those expectations. When they're outperforming their rookie contracts, then it's easy. Then you're making you're making positive returns. But it's so again, when when you see Matthew Judon or some of these Shaq Barrett sign these big money deals, you're gonna ha- they're gonna have to be very dominant players, better players than they were previously to really live up to the hype. Exactly, exactly. Nailed it right on the head. You know what? Free agency is the time to shine because like even you guys said it best too. Where free agency, you get what you uh, what you get what you like. I believe it's you know, free agency. You get what you want, but in the draft, it's you get what you need. Or I'm mixing the two up. I'm, I'm, if I mess it up, I apologize. No, you're good. I think the the what we were saying is that in free agency, you you attack needs and and you fill holes on your roster to try and shoot the moon. In the draft, you get value. You know, you have to you have to get value. I don't care what your positional needs are in the draft. If they if if you can find value and it fills a need, good for you. But you have to draft valuable players. Like if I don't care if you have two starting caliber offensive tackles, this is a very good offensive tackle falls to you. Taking him in the first round is always a good move. Like I know I said it earlier with the Dallas Cowboys, but the more I think about it, you know what? CeeDee Lamb may have been the better better option to go with that wide receiver because it wouldn't shock me next year if Amari Cooper is out in Dallas. No, I do think that you know, CeeDee Lamb wasn't a positional need for them, but was one of the better picks of that draft because, I mean, he was a very good player at a valuable position. And you don't have to tell the Dallas Cowboys how valuable the receiver position is because they just broke the bank for Amari Cooper. And I, I think a very similar about Kyle Pitts. You know, some people say if he falls to 12, San Francisco already has George Kittle. No, like he is a good player. And I think you have to, you know, there's no redundancy in that offense. If you bring in Kyle Pitts, I think you could do a lot of fun things with Pitts in San Francisco. Did I lose you? No, uh, so, sorry. I, I don't know what's really going on. I'm, I'm having some technical issues on my part. I, I do apologize, but all good, man. No, you like like basically tonight everything you said you nailed in the head, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So for those of well, we're just gonna wrap it up here, but for those of you who I'm gonna say this for people who want to know where to find you both on social media and know a little bit more about your podcast, uh, I'm gonna give you your time to plug some stuff away. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, go to pff.com and check out all the work that we're doing there. We got a lot of good content on free agency and the draft, and also you can follow me on Twitter at pff underscore Austin Gale, G-A-Y-L-E, and check out the podcast. If you like this podcast, you like talking about the draft, you like hearing about the offseason, you know, we're covering the draft and rookies year-round on 2 for 1 drafts. That's wherever you find your podcast, 2 for 1 drafts. I listen to it every day at work. It gets me through the day. Well, anyway, guys, we'll uh, talk to you later. Austin, it was a blast having you get you on, learn a little more about the draft and just talk overall because, like I always say, NFL is the one sport I love to talk year-round. Why? It's a year-round sport. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.